Thanks for joining us today at Springwell Church, where we want to draw spiritually thirsty people to Jesus by loving God, loving each other, and loving the world. We hope that today's message builds you up, gives you a little insight, and helps you find a brand new perspective. You can find us in Taylor, South Carolina, and online at springwell.org. That's springwell.org. Now let's jump into the message. Good morning. I'm out of practice. I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, thank you, thank you. It's good to be. It's good to be home. Uh, the sabbatical this time was was a little different. I've taken one in the past, and it was different. Uh, in the past, honestly, I was just wore out. I was burned out um, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and it was. I was just at that point. Uh, just really, I'd, I'd crashed pretty much, and and uh, I, but I learned something. The first time I had a sabbatical, uh, anyway. Long time ago, and and uh, typical me fashion, I didn't learn squat. And if you're from Greer, that means nothing. <laughs> uh, so I, I hit another wall, and I took some time again, and I learned some things. And one of the things that I learned, and I, I hope that this will apply to you as well, and you can learn something from my mistakes. But one of the things that I learned was was that rest is is kind of like um, it, it's kind of like being thirsty. And what I learned was, you know, from people that know a lot more about these kinds of things than I do, that the time you actually are thirsty, your body is already, that's your body telling you that you're, you're dehydrated and that you need some water. There you go. And, um, and so what I learned was with the time you're tired, spiritually, I believe, that the Holy Spirit is saying, you needed rest a long time ago. So one of the things that I've learned to do over the last few years is I've learned how to rest better. Now, I'm, by no means do I think I've accomplished that, um, but I'm, I'm better at it. Uh, I've, I'm kind of a workaholic. I have been a workaholic. I, I love to work. I love to do what I do. And, and so one of the things that I've learned is, is I've learned how to rest. And I've learned how to take in those, those sips of, of Jesus every day. To not be so busy. Now, I get up at 4.30. Hello. How many of y'all get up? <laughs> We're sick, aren't we? There's a few of us. The rest of y'all thinking, I ain't getting up no 4.30. I can't talk to Jesus at 4.30. He ain't up at 4.30. Yeah, he is. So anyway, uh, but, but I've learned. I've learned how, to, to, learned how to, 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 to take those sips of Jesus, to spend time with the Holy Spirit and to be refreshed. And so this sabbatical is a lot different than those that I've had in the past. I wasn't tired. I wasn't worn out. I wasn't burnt out. I wasn't in a state of... And so it was, it was kind of weird, actually, uh, but it was good. It was good to be away. Um, it was also good to be away and to learn how to so appreciate the staff that we have. They're amazing. Now, they're amazing. They, they are, and they're amazing, and they're incredibly talented. I mean, honestly, you don't know. So many of you are unchurched and have been unchurched because that's the heart of this church to reach you. You wouldn't necessarily know, but these guys are incredibly good at what they do. I mean, they're phenomenal. They could make a lot of money in the secular world. Don't tell them I said that because <laughs> they're not making it here. <laughs> I'm just saying, but they could somewhere else. But it's more than that. So people have asked me, were you worried? Did you ever get worried? And I can honestly look at you and say, never. Not one single time was there a split second when I was ever concerned about the state of Springwell. And that's not just because I know that we have incredibly gifted professional capable, talented people. It's because of their heart. I know that what I could trust with these folks is I could trust, I could trust your care to them. And I know that they would love you faithfully. Um, I knew that I didn't have to worry about speaking. I knew that Jonathan would be here and, and, and Brian. I know Brian spoke, I think, one week, and then I think uh, it, was, it was Jonathan that spoke the rest of those weeks. And he did a phenomenal job, did he not? Just go ahead. <clears throat> and please, please know that when you tell me that, that I'm, I'm not that guy. I'm not. I'm not that guy. I am sick in a lot of ways. No, I'm probably the sickest person here, but, but I, those things don't, I take great pride in knowing that he is incredibly as good as he is. It's the best thing for this church. But if he was just a great speaker, 
That'd be awesome. But if we couldn't carry the heart, then it wouldn't be any good. He'd be just a talking head on a Sunday morning. And he's not that. I know he loves the Lord. I know he loves you. Jonathan, thank you for uh, your job well done. David, thank you for leading our staff so well. <clears throat> Woo! Here we go. I'm here. What are we talking about? Oh, yeah, Christmas. So we're going to start. We're going to kick off a brand new a Christmas series this year called The Gift. And for the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at the three different gifts <coughs> that the wives men gave to Jesus. Now, in case you don't know the story, in case you're brand new to church, when Jesus was born, there were some wise men, very wealthy, very educated men that traveled a great distance. They traveled from afar as the, amen, I'm sorry, there was a little joke there, but y'all wouldn't get it, so never mind. They traveled a great distance to come and worship Jesus. The king of the Jews, the Messiah, the savior of the world. Now here's an easy question. You're the 11 o'clock crowd, you're really, really sharp. So how many wise men were there? The standard answer is three, right? That's the standard answer. And, and the standard answer is three because there's three gifts. So there's three gifts, therefore there must have been three wise men. The standard answer is also three because probably if you've made your way around this Christmas season, you've probably noticed all of these nativity scenes that are up, maybe even in church, you know, the, the churchyard or in, in people's homes. And in every one of those nativity scenes, there are how many wise men? There's three. But guess what? The Bible doesn't really tell us that there were three wise men. We've just been making that stuff up. <laughs> Can you believe it? The church, we've just been making that stuff up. Well, it was okay. I mean, we kind of, you know, three gifts, three wise men. That's okay. But actually, theologians believe, and I read where one guy said there could have been dozens, literally dozens of very wealthy, very educated men that traveled a great distance to be able to see Jesus as king. Now, again, this is going to mess you up. I'm going to blow your whole Christmas you're going to be so irritated at me and say, I'm not going back. All the nativity scenes you've seen and the wise men are there, guess what? They weren't there. You people are really, really sharp. In fact, there's going to be a verse of Scripture I'm going to read in just a minute, and that verse of Scripture will give you a clue as to they weren't there. They were probably, it was probably when he was around the age of two years old. Now, aren't you glad you came to church today? I just messed up your whole Christmas, right? And so what we want to do, we want to do for the next few weeks, we want to look at these gifts, at least, these three gifts of the wise men that's found in Matthew chapter 2. Verse 10, it says, when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And again, for those of you that are brand new to church, you know, those of us that have been in church, we read this like year after year after year. We don't think about it a whole lot, but a star? Really? A star? So a star, for if you're brand new to church, a star was like God's GPS system. And so they followed this star, and that star led them to Jesus. On coming to the what? Didn't say stable. Didn't say cave. It said house. That's free. won't cost you anything. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down, and they worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So today we're going to talk about the gift of gold. So I was just wondering, how many of you have gold a gold on your Christmas list for this year. <laughs> Man, that, that's awesome. <laughs> Are you expecting to get like a big, <laughs> you know, I thought I would do, I did a little study. I thought I would come up, this ought to be easy. You know, a bar of gold, there are different sizes of these bars. And so that kind of messed me up. But the thing of it is, is that most of us are probably not looking for that. We didn't put it on our, on our Christmas list because it's valuable. It ain't cheap, right? In fact, throughout history, gold, because of its scarcity and value, has been known as the gift only fit for a king. So today I want us to talk about the kingship of Jesus. But before we do that, I thought we'd play a little game. Anybody in the mood for a little game? Woo! I'm not. I, I don't, I'm not a game <laughs> It's weird, isn't it, David? I'm doing a game. They only knew. I hate games. Satan created games. I'm just... 
to divide families and destroy friendships. That's... <laughs> but this is going to be easy. It's going to be, I hate games. It's going to be like the easiest game that you could possibly play because you're all going to participate together. So I'm going to show you some different kings. And then I'm going to give you just a hint as to who the king might be. And then you're just going to say it out loud. It's going to be cool. We're going to have a lot of fun. So you ready? Okay, here's the first king. So when you think of Simba, that's the hint. When you think of Simba, what king do you think of? Awesome. We're off to a great start. Really? Here we go. When you think of the big gorilla. You guys are good. When you think of a double whopper with cheese. Lynn was in the first, y'all don't know Lynn. Lynn's kind of like our nutritionist lady. She was in the first service. I, I got a little scared because <laughs> I confessed I ate a Whopper. I ate a double Whopper. It was awesome. <laughs> Let me just say, like, I, done, I dove into that thing, fries right here, ketchup. It wasn't sugar-free. I mean, it was the real stuff. I got the large-sized drink. It looked like a five-gallon, you know, thing of paint. I mean, it was huge. It was awesome. So when you think of that, who do you think of? That would be Burger King, yeah. So let's, let's, let's just turn up the heat a little bit. Let's maybe make this a little bit harder. If I said a famous female tennis king, female tennis king of like the 80s. How many old? We got some old people here. Awesome. You represented us well. If I said the greatest blues guitar player, one of the greatest, if not the greatest, B.B. King. Can I hear an Amen. If I said he is still the reigning king of rock and roll. Yeah, don't you say, don't you come here and no Michael Jackson. You're in God's house. And we're here to honor the king. I'm just kidding. Well, I'm not, but y'all get me, right? We can play. Can we play? Yeah, Absolutely. So today I want to talk about the kingship of Jesus. God, I can't get this out. Because he is a king like no other king. Here's what John said about this king in Revelation 19. He said this. He says, he is dressed in a robe dipped in blood. Now, if you're new to church, you're going, that's just gross, right? And, and if maybe you've been in church your whole life, and maybe, maybe you've never really gone to the book of Revelation, you're reading this, you're thinking, it's not gross because this is going to represent the blood that he shed on the cross, but, but it doesn't. That's not the blood that this represents. This literally represents the blood of his enemies. Like that he has had revenge. He has come back. He is the ruling, reigning king. Are you with me? Now, if you're a Christian, you want to stick your chest out right now, don't you? You want to go, that's right, that's what I'm talking about. That's my king. Go ahead. You can do it. It's good. Good for you. Make you feel good. And then it says this, and his name is the word of God. The enemies of, of heaven were following him. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword. He's bad, ain't he? I'm just saying that's bad. You see a king riding up on a white horse and he's got blood on his robe and a, and a big sword in his mouth. You just know he's there to take names and kick some spiritual rear end. That's just what I'm saying. With which to strike down the nations and he will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty on his robe and on his thigh. He has his name, this name written, King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Wow, that's awesome. That's our king. That's the king that, that we serve. He is large and in charge. He, is, he has supreme authority over all the kingdoms of the world. And if you're a follower of Jesus, it makes you proud, doesn't it? He is a king like no other. But honestly, this is where the story gets a little weird. It just does. And one of the reasons that I love unchurched people, one, one of the reasons I think that God's given me such a passion for those that are so far away from God and don't understand who he is, is because they give you fresh eyes to see things that we don't see. 
Things that especially during Christmas we just grow accustomed to and it's just a part of the story and we don't question, but there's power here. God had a very unusual and a very unexpected way to show this king to the world. You see, the Jews were expecting, they were expecting a Messiah. That's not correct. It wasn't a Messiah. It was the Messiah. They weren't just expecting a Savior, but the Savior of the world. What they were expecting was a king. Not just a king, but the king. Who could blame them? So this is free. When you think of king, what do you think of? They were looking for a king to be born in a palace, surrounded by wealth and luxury and comfort. And isn't that what we would expect from a king? We like that description in Revelation 19, right? <clears throat> because it shows Jesus as king with authority, ruling and reigning. No one expected a king to be born in poverty in a cave next to farm animals. They didn't expect the Savior, the Messiah, to be the son of a carpenter born in Nazareth of all places. So Philip runs to tell Nathaniel that he found Jesus, that he found the Messiah, that he found the King. And he says, well, how, where, where did you find him? He says, well, he's, he's from Nazareth. And literally, Nathaniel, this is John 1, verse 46. Can anything good come from Nazareth? So there was nothing in the beginning that would, that would lead you to believe that he literally was the King of kings and the Lord of lords. No one predicted that the King of kings, the Son of God, would, that he would befriend prostitutes. That he would do more than touch lepers, but that he would embrace lepers. No one ever predicted because kings don't do that. Kings have people to protect them from said people. For their protection, they don't get close to the disenfranchised, the lowly, the dirty. And this king, he embraces them. No one ever imagined a king that would choose uneducated fishermen, despised tax collectors, and rebellious troublemakers to be his own disciples. <clears throat> That's not what kings do. Kings find the best that his country has to offer, the, the most educated, the smartest, the sharpest, the most successful. He wants to surround himself with the best of the best, and you have to stand in line. You have to go through a process in order to be selected and chosen. And Jesus does the opposite. No one ever imagined that the king of the Jews would ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. I mean, a donkey? A donkey? <laughs> really? A donkey? That would be like the president riding into town in a Kia Rio. You know what I'm saying? We would all go, what? In fact, if we saw that, if there was a sign on the side of the car that said the president of the United States, we would all laugh, wouldn't we? We would say, that's a joke. That's, a, that's fake. That's not, that's not the president. That's what Jesus did. And lining the streets, cheering for his arrival, the arrival of Jesus, the king of the Jews, were outcast, the overlooked and the immoral. That's not who shows up to be the closest to the president. Well, they're dignitaries. Come on, you've got to be somebody. So when they show the president on TV, uh, they're careful, aren't they? There are people around to protect, and they make sure that the, the, the most elite of our society are there, and, and they're pretty much not looking at the president. They're looking around to see who's looking at them, right? Look at me. I'm, I have the seat of importance. I know him. I'm somebody. And yet Jesus, the king of the Jews, the savior of the world, the Messiah, God's gift to heaven, God's gift to earth from heaven, 
comes riding into town on a donkey. And the streets were lined with the worst of society. No one ever imagined that an innocent king would be stripped naked, beaten almost to death, and hung on a cross. That an innocent king would be stripped naked, beaten, hung on a cross, dying a death that a criminal deserved to die. Come on, where's this authority? Where's his power? He is the king of kings, is he not? He he is ruling and reigning. He is he's he's the man. John said so in Revelation. No one ever imagined that the creator wrapped in human flesh would be mocked and spit on by his creation. So who could blame him for not believing? we take off our Sunday school eyes and if we take off our religious eyes and if we just look at them through the lens of those people then he doesn't look or sound like a real king the king of kings really and no one and I mean no one expected that three days after his death he would be raised from the dead No one. And when I say no one, I'm talking about his closest followers. And when the women went that resurrection morning to the the tomb, it scared them to death. They thought someone had stolen the body. And so they ran back to the disciples and they told the disciples, and you would have thought the disciples would have said, oh, hey, hallelujah, he has risen. And there would have been a choir and and they would have sang praise. And you would have thought, but they didn't. They thought somebody stole the body. The fact that, that he told them that he would be raised from the dead never had any impact. They thought he was dead. But he wasn't. He was raised from the dead. And he does sit at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. He is a king like no other king. But sometimes, through life, if we're honest, it doesn't always look so much like a king. What's interesting to me is that when you look at the story in the first century, you see three very distinct responses to Jesus as king. Oddly enough, here we are 2,000 years later, and honestly, there's pretty much still the same type of responses to Jesus as king. In fact, I'm guessing that if you have the courage to be honest enough, you might find yourself, that's my guess. It's where I found myself. As you look at these three responses, it may take you a little bit by surprise, maybe back a little bit to find that, wow, maybe that's my response. The first response would be the response of King Herod. If you know his story, he was the king. He was the reigning king at the the time of the birth of Jesus. And Herod opposed Jesus as king. He wanted to protect and guard his, his kingship. So according to Matthew 2, verse 16, he issued a decree that all the boys under the age of two in Bethlehem would be put to death. Because he heard, he heard that this child had been born. I, I think of that as a grown man, and I think, really, you're afraid of a child. A child, a two-year-old child, you're scared of a two-year-old child. He was so afraid, he was so egotistical, he was so intent on being king that any threat to that, he had to deal with it. So he gave an order. He said, I don't know which house that boy is in, but i tell you what I'll do. I'll have every child killed. Every boy, every male child under the age, I'll have him killed. And that's what he did. Because his child born king threatened his kingdom. Kind of look at that and you think, oh man, that's not me. That's not me. I think the attitude today is maybe a little bit different. But I know it's what I see, it's what I sense, it's what I hear, and literally it's what I hear from people. And that is simply this. Ain't nobody going to be the boss of me. 
Ain't nobody going to tell me what to do. You can't make me. I'm not going to listen to you because you ain't the boss of me. I guess maybe because of our nation's history, that's kind of unpleasant. Nobody wants to be a slave. Right? I don't want to be a slave. Do you want to be a slave? Who wants to be a slave? And so we try to protect <clears throat> our throne. If I said, friends and neighbors, boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, there are some people here this morning that are slaves to the evils of alcohol. And I'm thankful that you're here, by the way. You're in a safe place. In fact, quite honestly, we've prayed that you'd come. And if I said that there are people here, not outside the church, not out there in the world, but right here under the sound of my voice this morning that are slaves to cocaine, that would make perfect sense to you. If I said that there are people this morning that are slaves to prescription medication, we would all nod in agreement. Because it seems that everybody's a slave to something or something, right? And that's easy, but it's broader than that. And, and sometimes we're so small as church people that we only think in terms of drugs and alcohol. But it's deeper than that. It's broader than that. Some of us are slaves to lust. Oops, can you say that at 11 o'clock on Sunday morning? From what I understand, there's more addiction today to pornography than ever before. I remember a time, ladies, a few years ago, quite honestly, I've been doing this for over 25 years, and I remember a time when, when it was pretty much every man's sin, every man's struggle, and as I understand from the experts, y'all catching up with us. Some of us are, are, are addicted to love. I get that, don't you? If you don't, then I don't know where you've been living. We just want to be loved. And we want to be loved and embraced by somebody. We want to know that we matter. We want to know that somebody can look at us and look past the junk and somehow just love us. And the whole God thing is cool, but we also want to connect with somebody here on planet Earth. We want to do life at the deepest level possible. Some of us are addicted to looks. I'm at the gym at least six hours a week. And let me just say, I'm not on the elliptical machine for my looks. Because ain't nothing I'm looking at in the mirror means that much to me. I mean, that machine is from the pit of hell itself. <laughs> Satan created it. He came up with it. I'm just saying. And when you walk in and you walk over to the elliptical machine, people go, <gasps> the trainers walk by and laugh. They laugh at us. It's awful. I'm not there for my looks. I'm there for my health. And some days I think it's killing me. <laughs> but why would we spend that much time investing in a body that's going to just get old and deteriorate anyway? Now, should we be caring about, about our health? Absolutely. But how many of us are there for a lot more than our health? Others of us are slave to money or our stuff or whatever the case might be. And maybe, just maybe, without even knowing it, we're opposing Jesus as king because our wants and our addictions are seated on the throne of our lives. And your goal is not to oppose Jesus as king. But you do. The second group, let's get off that first group. What do you say? All God's people said, amen. amen. It was the Jewish priest. It's going to get worse. I'm just going to tell you. It's going to get worse. The Jewish priest, they didn't oppose Jesus. 
Somebody that I read said they dismissed him. I thought, man, you know, I've struggled with the word dismiss. I guess I'm from Greer, so I just thought apathetic. They just didn't give a rip, which is weird to me because these guys are priests. So their job was to study Scripture, was to understand Scripture. And so when Herod wanted to know where this king was, he went to these priests, and these priests quoted from Micah 2, and they said, well, I tell you, this king was supposed to be born in, in Bethlehem. And, and so you would think, you would think that these guys would have said, wow, wow, we didn't know, we didn't, we, like, we didn't get the memo, but so God's son, the, the savior of the world, the king of kings has been born, we should go see. Now, some of you are probably thinking, well, maybe they didn't believe. Listen, if you had literally been praying for thousands of years, if your mom and dad and their mom and dad and their mom and dad and their mom and dad before them, if you had had a long thousands of years of history of looking for and you thought he was five miles away, you wouldn't just go see? But they didn't. They were just apathetic. So I think that we're so busy with our lives that we don't have the time or the heart to pursue Jesus as king. Now, you would probably think this is a really good time that I launch into the condition of our world, right? And that mostly I'd be talking about the unchurched pagan world out there. That's the world that we live in today. And you'd think, but I'm not. I'm talking about the church. I'm talking about followers of Jesus, Christians. I truly believe, and I don't know if I should have said it quite that way. Maybe I should have said, I think. But actually, I do believe. I believe that our country is in the mess that, that we're in because the church has been so apathetic for so long. We've been so apathetic for so long that we've lost our influence. You know, it's, it's amazing to me that when you look back in history, every revival that's, that's come to any group of people came on the basis of some type of crisis, right? There was a crisis in the world. There was a, there was a pandemic. There was a, there was a plague. There was a whatever. And so there was a group of people that stood up to say, you know what? There's got to be more to life than what we have. We got we to pursue something. And there was a, a group of people that stood in the gap and said, what you're looking for is a relationship with God. Awesome. What's interesting to me, I, I, don't, I don't hear that revivals hit the church. I don't hear that people are beating down the doors every week to, to come to church. And you think I'm blaming them, right? I'm just, I'm just wondering if we've ceased to be salt and light. And it's not because we're in opposition to Jesus, it's just that we're just apathetic. Okay, how about the wise men? All God's people said, Let's move on. How about the wise men? The wise men bowed down and they worshiped Jesus as king, which is the ultimate response to a king, right? But wait a minute. They were wise men. Maybe there were three. Maybe, maybe there was a dozen. Maybe there were literally dozens of very wealthy, extremely wealthy, very educated, extremely educated men that left everything they had to pursue this star, and, and just so you know, it is believed at least that these guys were probably astrologers, which means that they were looking to the heavens for the answers. And I just think it's really, really cool that God met them where they were. Don't you think that's awesome? So like you can be riding down the road, minding your own business. You don't even have God on your mind. And there's a secular song that comes on on your rock and roll radio station. And it ain't about Jesus, but somehow that secular song points you to God. People don't believe that's possible. I do because I know God. And he's crazy about you and he'll do anything he can to seek you out. And so these guys, they, they, they humbled themselves. We don't even know how long that the journey was. Maybe it started when Jesus was born. Maybe they traveled for two years. We don't know. But they traveled. They humbled themselves, and they said, you know what? It's not all about me. 
kings, kings said, it's not about my throne. It's not about my desires. It's not about my successful. It's not about my successes. As powerful, as influential, as educated as I am, it's not enough to breed security. So with everything in me, I bow down and I worship the King of Kings. We'll talk about this in a couple of weeks, which is really weird. It's a two-year-old. I know y'all thinking, but it was Jesus. <laughs> How many of y'all have two-year-olds? How many of you know some two-year-olds? Has there been times when you thought, um, where'd that child come from? It's awesome. So I'm just curious. And I ask this as sincerely as I know how. What's your response? Are you opposing him without really meaning to? Are you so intent on what's in charge in your life, which is you? Or that addiction? Or that thing that you love? Are you opposing him? Or, or maybe you're just apathetic. Maybe it's sweet baby Jesus in a manger. Silent night, holy night. But maybe you're thinking, you know what? The timing's kind of off right now. I'm just busy. It's Christmas. I mean, I got bigger fish to fry. There's things going on. There's other things that I have to do that demand my attention. Maybe one day. Just not today. With everything in me, and I am so far from perfect. Y'all know that. I tell you way too much. And you can imagine what I don't tell you. I mean, you can imagine how bad it really gets in my head. But with everything in me, I just want you to know I just want you to know him. I mean, really know him. I know what it's like to feel unloved and unworthy. And to still be loved by a king. I tried everything to fill the emptiness inside, but no matter what, there was this aching, this emptiness inside of me, this, this longing for something more. And quite honestly, it wasn't church. To me, church was just religion with rules. And it was a place filled with hypocrites. And for those of you that are thinking that the church is full of hypocrites, we are. Let me just go ahead and tell you. So if I'm, that man's a hypocrite. You're right. <laughs> we are. I wish we could live up to everything that we believe. We don't. But something kept drawing me back. And to be honest with you, honestly, it wasn't sweet baby Jesus in a manger. It wasn't on Christmas. It was a king who stripped himself of the appearance of his kingship. I cannot wrap my brain around that. We all want to be somebody. We're all trying to climb up the corporate ladder of success. And maybe that's financially, but it's also relationally. So to be king and to strip yourself of the appearance of your kingship? Who does that? Born of a virgin in poverty in a cave. Reaching out to the lowest of the low. Those who were despised. In our context today, it would be those of us who just can't get it right. Those who use substances to get up or to come down or those who try to find the meaning of life in all the wrong places. And I was absolutely one of those people. And I've never forgotten from where I've come. And just like those wise men, he came to me where I was. Not in church on a Sunday morning. Not in a revival meeting. Not at a youth camp. Amen. He met me where I was. And he forgave me 
Not because I was good, but because he is good. Y'all can't clap. Y'all get me started. We'll be here all day. So let me tell you about my king. Oh, man. He's not some distant, angry, uninvolved judge waiting to zap you with a bolt of lightning and mess you up. He's not the man upstairs. He's not the big guy in the sky. He's not your homeboy. He's my king. And according to Scripture, he is the king of righteousness who took on the unrighteousness, the sin of the world to save pathetic people like us. Undeserving, unworthy. Jesus, my king, he, he heals the sick. He opens blind eyes and, and he heals deaf ears. You watch him every week, strengthen the week, right here. He delivers the captive. I'm that one too. He restores the broken and the hurting of which I am one. He's your shelter in your time of trouble. He's a light in your dark world. He is the Prince of Peace. His goodness is indescribable. His grace is irresistible. And at his name, darkness trembles. In his presence, demons flee. The devil hated him, but he could not stop him. Death could not defeat him, and the grave could not hold him. Jesus is that king and I want you to know him so bad I don't want to give you a dose of religion I don't want you to get churchy on me I want you to fall in love with him I want him to be able to to reach down and to pull you up into his arms I want you to be so close that you can feel the warmth of his breath on your face I want you to be able to know that if everything in your world falls apart, the fact that he holds you is enough and nothing else matters. And I know what that feels like. I am a broken mess. He loves me. And he meets me early in the morning. And he walks with me through my day. I just desperately want you to know him. Maybe early in your life, maybe you kind of believed, you kind of thought about him. But then life got busy. Maybe you call yourself a Christian. But maybe you've been dealing with growing up problems, work problems, relationship problems, and maybe for you, he just just doesn't really look much like a king. I want you to know that he is. He really, really is. Others of you that are here this morning, you're not a follower of Jesus. Gosh, got snot coming out. You want to shake my hand? <clears throat> I can't believe I did that. It's a real spiritual moment. 
There are others of you that are here and you've been really, really far from God and right now something's happening that I can't mess up. And that's his presence. The presence of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. His presence is right here, right now. And what you feel is the Holy Spirit, His, His Holy Spirit. You're, you're feeling His Holy Spirit just draw you in. And if you listen, I promise you, He's telling you that He loves you. In fact, He's telling you that He's crazy about you, and He proved it. Talks cheap, not with Jesus. He gave His life on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. He was a righteous king who took on unrighteousness for our sake. And on the third day, he was raised from the dead. And he's alive, and that's what you feel, his presence. And right now, he's drawing you to himself. And you may think, what does God want from me? He just wants to love you, that's all. He, does he want my money? It's, he wants you. He wants to sit on the throne room of your life. He wants you to give up control and just worship him as king. So are you ready? Every head is bowed, every eye is closed, no one's looking around. If you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus and you'd like to be, And maybe you would say just a simple, simple prayer. Maybe it'd be something like this. You'd just say, Jesus, I need you. My life's a mess. Things aren't good. Maybe the world that you see around you is nothing but a reflection of you. Just tell him that. And tell him right now, say, Lord, I'm just, I want to turn from my sin. I want to repent. I want to walk away from my sin. And I want to turn to you, and I just want to thank you for what you've done. It's awesome. Your grace is irresistible. So I'm coming to you to the best of my ability, and I'm surrendering my life to you. Lord Jesus, Thank you for giving us the privilege of doing what we do, Lord. And introducing people to you. Thank you for that, Lord. Thank you, God. I'm blessed with so much, God. A family that's unbelievable. I'm surrounded by a staff that's I have to pinch myself sometimes to believe. And then God, this wonderful group of people, we're just family. We're just doing life together. Screwed up as we are, trying to figure out how to get closer to you. Use us, Lord. Use us as we go out this afternoon to give money away. That we can just show people that don't understand and don't have a clue that you're a giver, not a taker. Use this, Lord. And we'll thank you. It's in your sweet name that we pray. Amen. Well, uh, Dylan introduced us to a new Christmas song a couple years ago. And uh, quite personally, I just fell in love with it. Uh, I love the old stuff that we do. Don't misunderstand me. But if I can be honest with you, one of the things that I recognized when I was in traditional church is that we sing hymns on Sunday morning that we don't pay attention to what we're singing. We just open up a hymnal and look around. And sometimes it's not the song's fault. It's not the writer's fault. So when we do new music, the thing that happens sometimes is that we get a new perspective and we have to listen to the words. And these words were so powerful. I don't think we did it last year, did we? We were going to do it. We didn't do it last year. And so this year, and it didn't really fit into this series, but we just thought we're just going to end today with a wonderful, beautiful song that I think will give you a different perspective on Christmas.
Yesterday we were just kids hanging in the sky, staying up all night. Hey, hey, moon, do you ever get a tear in your eye when you think about the time that God came down? I couldn't help myself; I had to shine so bright. And I remember that newborn baby, and the wise men that traveled so far. I knew I was made for a reason. I feel like the luckiest star. Hey, moon, hey. Hey moon, it's funny how things have changed. I wish that they could see the things we've seen before the colored lights and the Christmas trees. Hey, hey moon, so many are still searching for signs. God is stirring in their hearts. They will lift their wandering eyes and see us shine, and they'll remember that newborn baby and the wise men that traveled so far. I know they were made for a reason. I feel like the luckiest star. Hey, moon. Hey, moon. Silent night and holy. All is bright. I remember that newborn baby and the wise men that traveled so far. I know I was made for a reason. I feel like the luckiest star. Hey moon, hey moon. Hey, Mo.